you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. From 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City, please enjoy this podcast edition of Late Night with Seth Meyers. On today's show, you'll hear Seth's interview with Portlandia's Carrie Brownstein, who also takes a few more questions backstage just for this podcast. Plus, a brand new Late Night Chats with Yeji Beach and Michelle Bird McPhee of the Late Night Music Department. Now let's go to Seth Meyers and Carrie Brownstein. Our guest is an Emmy-nominated writer, actress, and musician. She's one of the co-creators and stars of the fantastic show Portlandia. The eighth and final season airs Thursday nights on IFC. Please welcome back to the show our friend Carrie Brownstein, everyone. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, congratulations. Eight seasons of a sketch show is impossible with just two people, and you guys did it, and the quality never dipped. Did you change your approach going into it, knowing this was your last season as you were writing it? We tried not to because I think, you know, you go in with the same mission, which is to make something that's funny and relatable, gets to the heart of an idea or a character, and you don't want to be overly sentimental. Right. Because I think that's a bad place from which to create is where you're already patting yourself on the back or you're running a victory lap because that's not how the audience is viewing it. No, but I will say as an audience member, I'm also very happy to see the characters that we've spent time with over the last eight years. Uh, the feminist bookstore owners, uh, Tony and Candice are back. Did you... Was that... Was it hard to at least not feel a little sentimental when you knew you were playing characters like that for the last time? No, I mean, for sure. And we we noted, the you know, the last time we put on the wigs or, you know, with um, Lance, who's... Yeah, the, Lance is a personal favorite of mine. For those yeah. who don't know, there's Carrie as Lance. Yeah, so... <laughs> So the last time I wore that mustache, you know, and, and now I have that mustache, um, you know, just on a wall in my house. Okay, good. That's really disgusting. Um, yeah, no, um, it, there was a sadness. And also sometimes guests would come on the show and they would be sad in advance. You know, we would still be weeks, you know, out of sure. finishing and they would get emotional. And so that kind of amplified our sense of sadness. So, yeah, the whole thing has been very bittersweet. You uh, directed uh, uh, multiple episodes this year, yes? Mm -hmm. Um, Does it, do you feel, is the experience different? I mean, it must be different, but do you enjoy it more being on that side of it? I enjoyed in the, in the premiere episode, which is tonight, actually, um, a, a huge portion of that episode I'm not in, which I enjoy, and I try to actually 
direct the episodes that are more Fred-focused. Right, so that you don't have to worry about directing yourself as a performer. Yeah, it's a little tricky. I lose perspective. You have to have a lot of trust in the process and in yourself and use playback, and it's just a little clunkier. Um, so I like when I can just watch Fred and have some objectivity. Every, I feel as though uh, every other episode, every episode, you guys make an observation or you play something that I can't believe hasn't happened to the degree that you guys do it. You guys play podcasters in the first episode. Uh, just delightful. Do When you're in the writer's room, do you have this moment of, oh, this will be perfect for us to play a couple of super dicky podcasters? Um, I, I wouldn't say that that was the exact quote when we, when we started writing it, but I think we were talking about how podcast and I am a fan of them but they, I am too. they start to get a little fetishistic you know fetishizing yeah. the other like what would it be like to live in a rural part of the country <laughs> well I don't know a lot of people live there already <laughs> yeah. um, they could probably tell us but um, yeah just elevating everything to this you know really like intense drama when it sometimes feels like they're creating drama out of nothing um, and so yeah we wanted to explore that lovingly so we take over a police station yes yeah. and it is very lovingly done yeah. it is very clear uh, that you are people who listen to and enjoy podcasts as well. Uh, so Fred and you met backstage at an SNL after party mm -hmm. in 2003, and then you start this uh, comedy relationship that no one could have predicted, and you're obviously very close friends. Uh, Fred, over the years, has given you some unique gifts. Yeah. What are some of the, the most Fred gifts you've ever received? Well, the, the most Fred gift was um, a... Japanese toilet. Um, now, if you've never had the luxury of sitting on a Japanese toilet, which is a behemoth of a machine, and um, bigger than a regular toilet. Oh, much bigger. Okay. And it's it has a lot of features. Um, and F Fred Fred presented it to me in a very ceremonious way, and um, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I, w I didn't know what he was about to gift me. Yeah. Um, I it, I felt like it could have been a wedding ring or. <laughs> But you know what's better than getting a wedding ring is getting a toilet. Yeah. And, um, and also it's an awkward gift because the f it's one thing to get a gift from someone that you don't exactly know what to do with. And, you know, they come over and you're like, oh, I got to put that piece of art up. But, you know, but with a toilet, the check-in is kind of weird. Like, how are you enjoying your toilet? <laughs> yeah. Like, are you using it? <laughs> also, yeah. it seems as though uh, then a lot of, he's given you a lot of work to do because you then have to install a I toilet. I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't no, no, it's true. It's okay. Japanese toilet, you have to, there's electronics, there's power that needs, it's not just like a regular plumber can come over. It's, you it's, need a Japanese plumber. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, um, it's a lot of, also, I just don't have a bathroom big enough for it. So, yeah. I, yeah so I built a separate bathroom. Oh my God. I didn't. Um, <laughs> um, Fred will be happy to know that it's still lovingly in its box. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it's and like eventually, a, uh, eventually, yeah. when I have a bathroom big enough for this, I will install it. Did he also, is it true that he also once got you a ladder? Yeah, which seems like a dangerous <laughs> gift. Um, it was somewhere, it was a ladder the size, somewhere between like a step ladder and a ladder you would like rescue a cat out of a tree with. <laughs> so it was, you know, eight to 10 steps. Um, and I use it sparingly to okay. like, change light bulbs. And I think about Fred every time. Well, that's yeah. nice. That's probably, that was his yeah. end game. Yeah, I can't believe we've talked about toilets on the show yeah. now. Okay. Oh, we talk about so much worse. Okay. That okay. is, uh, that's about as highbrow as we get. Um, <laughs> so I want to, you uh, are, continue to be in a rock band, Slater Kinney. Uh, you and Fred obviously have a lot in common musically. What was your upbringing like? Like, what were you listening to when you were younger? 
Well, I was listening to 80s music. I, sure. You know, um, woo, 80s. <laughs> what a decade. What a decade. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, Michael Jackson, Madonna was my first concert, um, Duran Duran, Wham. And then uh, my parents were listening to, I guess, cocaine rock. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, which is like the Eagles. My parents are kind of teetotalers, like that, you know, yeah. in the, I was growing up in the Pacific Northwest and they barely even drank wine. Maybe my mom had a little like boxed wine sometimes. <laughs> um, but they were singing, you know, the Eagles sing songs about like life in the fast lane and you're just doing a lot of drugs and driving, yeah. you know. Fast, fast, yeah. really yeah. fast, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's um, so I, I listened to both those things. Gotcha. Yeah. And do you feel like in the end, did either inspire you more than the other? Did 80s rock, because it doesn't, I would not have guessed kind of either of those. Oh yeah, well probably not so much the Eagles. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of guitar solos. They were so, you know, kind in that way to each member of the band. They were That's like, true. you take a solo, you take a solo, <laughs> you take a solo. Um, and I was a little more sparing with you God. Know, that playing. But I do love pop music. I mean, the, the structure of some of those songs is amazing. I mean, you can listen to Thriller over yes. and over again, and it's a flawless record. So. Um, I uh, predict that Portlandia will be a show that people watch over and over again. I think it will endure for such a long time. It really is such a fantastic show. Congratulations on Thank eight you. seasons. Carrie Brownstein over to Portlandia. airs Thursday night on ISU. Hey, this is Kevin, one of the producers here at Late Night. We are backstage with Carrie Brownstein. Carrie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So you and Fred met in 2003. You met in, at an SNL after party and then did Thunder Ant. You guys did sketches together. Yeah, we were a clumsy, charming duo yeah. <laughs> making videos for our friends. Were you always into comedy or did you ever predict that you would be in a sketch show like this? Not necessarily. I think, I mean, I was a comedy fan as a kid. I loved SNL. I loved Kids in the Hall. Um, loved SCTV, Monty Python. I mean, it was part of my sort of like TV watching diet to like mm -hmm. dip into comedy, especially things that felt absurd and kind of weird and particularly Kids in the Hall. I could watch that over and over and over again. I thought it was so strange and so wondrous. Um, but then kind of music took a hold of me when I was in high school and I did that for so long. It kind of sidelined. I don't think I necessarily would have gone into comedy, but I really liked acting when I was a kid and just kind of like a drama and theater nerd. So um, yeah, it kind of came back around to, I guess, performing more so than like specifically comedy. But Fred and I just had a sensibility together. We made each other laugh and yeah. wanted to write. Did you guys just have ideas for stuff that you would <laughs> shoot and things that made uh, you laugh? I think the first one was, so uh, I believe it was John Kerry. So it was 2004 was, you know, the campaign was in swing and Fred had been asked, he was already on SNL at the time, he had been asked to make like a short video for someone's campaign. So he wanted to play Saddam Hussein, he had this version of Saddam Hussein where he played him as like an aging, like handsome British rock star, like <laughs> kind of like Pete Townsend. It's such a Fred thing. And so he had this British accent. And he wore a really cool suit. And I played uh, Cindy Overton, who was um, had a cable access show. And I got the first interview with Saddam Hussein after he'd been released from the bunker. <laughs> it was really bizarre. And Fred, as Hussein, kept doing these PSAs for like safe sex and like say no to drugs. We just did this little three minute thing. And my fake cable access show was called Boink. And so we made this little intro for it. And that was the first thing. And then and he we shot that in Portland. And so we kept coming back to Portland. It's so easy to film there. We have a lot of friends who do film and video and direct things and, you know, just the accessibility. That's why people, I think, start 
a lot of endeavors in small towns. You just you can. It's cheaper. You're in LA, LA, it's like where's the permit? Where, mm-hmm. You know, we got to talk to the cops and block off the street. You know, in Portland, it's like a little more run and gun, which is very freeing. So we yeah. just started making more and more sketches there. And you guys were just honored by the city of Portland, right? So in the city hall, um, when you go into the mayor's office, there is a portrait of every mayor throughout uh, the state's um, or the city's history. And Kyle McLaughlin, who plays the um, fictitious mayor on our show, uh, he was honored with a plaque and Fred and I are on either side of him. So yeah, it is hopefully will not be confusing to anyone visiting City Hall. And now you mentioned with Seth that you directed a few episodes. You're also directed an episode of his show that's coming out, AP Bio. Yeah, so Seth is uh, one of the executive producers on this great new show that Mike O'Brien um, created uh, called, yeah, AP Bio. And it's coming out. It's on NBC, comes out in like a month. And um, I loved it. I've always loved Mike O'Brien ever since he was a writer and then on SNL for a little bit. He just has a really odd sensibility, but he's so sincere. He's just one of the most earnest guys. And it's a really great story about a sort of befuddled chemist or, yeah, teacher, bio teacher, um, biology teacher in back in his hometown of Ohio. Uh, with a nemesis mm-hmm. who is more successful than him. And uh, yeah, it stars Glenn Howerton and Patton Oswald and a bunch of really, really great people. Great, yeah, super funny. And you were actually a substitute teacher for a while, right? In the middle of Slater Kinney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my bandmate, Corin Tucker, you know, she said, "I'm my husband and I are going to have a baby, so we need to take some time off. And I really panicked. I was like, what am I going to do? So I immediately got like four different jobs. And one of them, I was I was pretty young at the time. I think I was 25. Um, they were taking, there was an, a substitute teacher shortage in Olympia, Washington, where I was living. So I became an emergency substitute teacher. Emergency substitute yeah. teacher, okay. Which, yeah. And I mean, it was an emergency just meaning a shortage. But uh-huh. it was really, like they would call. You never knew when you were going to work. So as a person in their mid-20s, you know, that was when I was going out more. I just was like, I, I got to commit myself to this job. I got to go to bed at nine just in case I get a call <laughs> at 4 a.m. And they really would, the phone would ring, you know, this is like pre-cell phone. So your landline would ring at like five in the morning and then you would pick up the phone and you would, it would be a recording that said, like inserted your name into the message and told you which school and what subject and then, you know, press one to accept. Yeah. And I would just go off to some school in the Great. district. <laughs> and how were you as a teacher? terrible because I was very I went very rogue Mm -hmm. you know teachers when they have substitutes you know really want you to like stay the course like they have their method of teaching they have the curriculum and all they want is for you to just step in for a moment make sure the kids like pay attention or at least you know don't hurt each other and then they hopefully come back the next day and I was like that's not what's going to happen here we're going to learn and I don't know what subject I'm teaching but let's talk about Arthur Conan Doyle I just you know if it was English whatever I was reading Mm -hmm. I was like have you guys read Virginia Woolf (laughs) like absolutely not we haven't <laughs> and I don't think we're allowed to. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I <clears throat> that lasted just a few months. Well, thank you again so much for being here, and congrats on the show. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Yeji Cha Beach, and I am the music coordinator here at Late Night with Seth Meyers. And this is Michelle Burr McVie. I am the senior music coordinator here at Late Night with Seth Meyers, and, and this, this is Late Night Chats with, with Yeji and, and Michelle. <laughs> So let's just, uh, you want to talk about what we do and how we yeah. met? Yeah, let's talk about how we met. 
Because okay. we go, we go kind of way back. Yeah. Yeji and I met about six years ago at uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music. Bam. I was a production manager there and Yeji was... The production coordinator there. Yeah. So we worked pretty closely together. And um, when the opportunity came up for me to come to Late Night and we were looking for an assistant to work with our department, Yeji came to mind because I knew we would be great working together doing, you know, the whole music department, covering all of what we do. Yeah. So when we met six years ago, we actually, funny story, like we started our jobs around the same time. It was summer of 2012. And I started in like June and Michelle started in like July or something. So we were both like getting to know our department for the first times together, getting to know like BAM for the first time together. And two years later, when Michelle was like, oh, I have this new opportunity, you know, I'm going to start working for Seth Meyers for his new late night show. I remember telling you like, oh man, that's a whole nother world that like I'm not used to, I've never been part of. I've always been part of music, but you know, like for TV, music for TV, that was such a new thing. So I remember telling you like, good luck, keep me posted if there's anything that pops up. And then like the next day you were like, so there's a music assistant position. Are you interested? For sure, yeah. Um, And I was excited too, you know, because I was starting a new job with a new company. Some folks I knew, but, you know, it's just always great to have somebody that you kind of already have a relationship with when you're starting in a new job, you know, just to make it all that more comfortable. So it was perfect for me. And and, uh, and it's been a great ride for the four years that we've been here so far. I have a funny, like, my first day here at Late Night Story. I don't know if you remember. It was so crazy. Like, everyone was starting for the first time. The whole show was brand new. It felt like a startup environment. Like, everyone knew what was happening, but at the same time, like, not really. You know, we were all trying to work out the kinks. And literally the first day here, you know, I got my, like, badge and I went to orientation. And then, like, after lunch, I remember seeing you in the hallway and you were, like, running because you were, like, busy, like, getting, like, the HG band or house band, like, gear set up or, like, you know, whatever. And, like, making sure that I felt comfortable my first day. And you were like, oh, do you want to go get a tour of the studio? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I hadn't seen the studio yet. And it was just like spanking new, like so clean, pristine. And this was our old set. And I remember like I'd never been in a TV studio before. So furthermore, I was so nervous, you know, in my first day. And I followed you into the studio. We walk in and I'm like, what is Fred Armisen doing here? Like he was like, tuning his guitar, like, you know, like practicing. And I was like, Michelle, what's Fred doing here? And I was such a big fan of Fred because of Portlandia and SNL. I actually didn't realize like he was a musician too. And you were like, Fred's our band leader. And I was like, what do you mean Fred is our band leader? (laughs) And I think literally that day, Seth or like our show had posted a photo on, on Twitter or Instagram, like with the photo of our house band and that day was when they announced that late night with seth myers would have a house band so i had no idea i wasn't privy to this top secret information and then the fact that fred was our band leader i was totally freaked out i was like this is the best first day ever at any job this is so cool (laughs) anyway i I, i'll always remember that (laughs) yeah fred is something else it was it was really fun like just starting out like when we were auditioning band members and i was setting up the rehearsals and the auditions at sir one of our back 
backline companies. I just remember we had to come over from SIR to late night to the actual studio. And I was getting on the subway and Fred was like, oh, I thought we'd get him a car or something. And he was like, no, that's fine. And he jumped on the subway with me. And I'm like, "Okay, Fred (laughs) Armisen is riding the subway with me. So I had the same kind of like shock and like uh, kind of amazement of, you know, just working with him initially when we started. But Fred's really cool. Yeah. And I guess I guess this is a good time to talk about you know, like our house band. So we have this amazing house band, the 8G band. And our, you know, band leader, our musical director is Fred Armisen. He's our drummer as well. But because he's so busy with these amazing projects, we have new drummers every week. And so Michelle and I also work with these new drummers and they're booked by our producer, Eric Lederman. And like, it's it's been really fun for the past like three plus years, like working with these amazing drummers like you know a drummer like Matt Cameron from Pearl Jam to you know John Theodore from Queens of the Stone Age oh and to Bron Daler who was just here um Bron's our buddy Bron who just won a Grammy uh with Mastodon so yeah so fun to have that part of our jobs yeah and and speaking of our jobs like you know like what we what we do you know I thought it would be fun to kind of uh walk through a day yeah of you know what we do here and a band day in particular. So, you know, if it's a Monday and we have a band, our day starts a little earlier because we need to get here and prep um, for the production crew that's going to be coming in. And our gear comes in at 8 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, we start set up. And at the same time that that's happening, we usually have our guest drummer coming in that day as well. And what we'll do is have a drum tech scheduled to come in and work with them. So simultaneously, many things are happening during Mm -hmm. a band day, Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of just getting ready before the artist even gets there. So, you know, we have our crew come in and set up. We have audio crew. Yeji and I get to work with a lot of amazing crew that kind of makes the whole show come together for that day. Um, And then Yeji handles more of the artists actually getting there and then I'll let her chat with you about that. Yeah, so, I mean, basically, like, Michelle does, you know, like, the technical side of things. She's, like, would you say, like, you're, like, the liaison between our show crew and, like, a guest band's crew, kind of, and help, like, funneling information? For sure, yeah, making all that happen. Once I know what the guest band wants to happen in terms of plot and production, then, you know, I'll reach out, rent all the back line, and then from there, when their crew arrives, I coordinate with our crew and get basically their band set up and prepared for when the artist is going to come in. And I, you know, I coordinate with the band's tour manager or the publicist and try to figure out, you know, what time the artist is coming so that I can ensure like a smooth, you know, arrival to our studios. I help set up ground transportation. I handle all their paperwork. A big part of my job also is if there's any international musicians, I have to make sure that they have all the valid, you know, work documents to work or else they can't perform on the show. And, you know, like hospitality and everything and just making sure like our biggest priority for both of us, whether it's like hospitality or you know tech things like we just want to make sure that our bands have like a really good time at Seth Meyers and like one of the most satisfying things is that at the end of the day like as they're leaving they look at us with you know they look into our eyes and they're just like you guys are the best at Seth Meyers you've made our days really easy smooth comfortable and we've done all these other shows but you guys you guys really bring it home or you know like they tell us that all the time (laughs) They do. That's always like just so satisfying us, you know, for both of us, I think. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we want, you know, a lot. uh, These artists do a lot of shows. So, you know, we want it to make, like you said, as smooth and as easy as possible, you know, and then 
because a lot of our artists do return and especially some of our favorites and it's great for Mm -hmm. them to have a good experience from everybody from their production company to the artists themselves and we've gotten some great responses and get that email the next day saying thank you everybody had such a great time so and speaking of like return artists like Jeremiah, our music booker, our talent executive, you know, he does such a great job at like booking a good range of artists, you know, everywhere from country to pop to rock to indie rock to like new artists that, you know, we haven't really heard of before. People making their late night TV debuts, people who have done this for like 30 years and they're vets at this. And so we get such a good mix of different kinds of artists that it's really cool like whether they're baby bands or big names like of you know for their teams to say and for the artists themselves to say like thanks for such a good time for making us feel good and comfortable here on your show definitely like some of our favorite bands that come through like I think Michelle and I both agree they are bands from Nashville, Tennessee. We yeah, love Nashville, the Nashville our country bands. bands. Our country bands are everything. They have the best production teams. It's like, <laughs> shout out to all those Nashville production managers, tour managers, <laughs> and, and publicists. Uh, they're just so, it's like a well-oiled machine. They yeah. do it so much. They do probably 280 shows a year, a lot of these bands. And it's just, you know, they know how to come in. They know it's one song. They, you know, they respect the house as well as like, you know, wanting to you you know we want to please them as well but they also are just so respectful of being at the show it's just it's really great working with all of them yeah yeah totally I would say like I think I've mentioned this to you before Michelle but two Octobers ago our show went on the road to DC and that was such a cool experience to like take our entire show our entire team crew staff to a different city and like do our show there with the same set but so that got me thinking like in the future like if we could do another show on the road like my dream show would be in Nashville yeah for sure (laughs) man that's the place to make it happen I mean they do it they do it so well and when we went to DC it was great it was great kind of being in a different space and going from zero to full production Mm -hmm. and that was like you know that was a real test of, of what we do every day because there's nothing there so it's not like walking into a studio where you use the same things every day. We kind of had to plan so far ahead to make sure that we had everything we needed from, I don't know, risers to backline to, you know, you had to, you couldn't miss, you know, you couldn't miss anything, you know, because all those little things that you take for granted when you're working your own house, you know, you have to really think through your entire day, you know, of what exactly you do, which gets difficult sometimes because it becomes second nature to you. And I think for that week in D.C., because our house band expanded temporarily that week, like we had... Oh, man, we had Corey Glover from Living Color and Vernon Reed. Yeah. So it was like our HG band plus these extra special guests. Oh, and Thaddeus Dixon on drums. on drums. So it was like this cool experience to like have our core HG band plus special guests for this special week in D.C. So yeah, that was, that was really great. fun. Yeah. Let's go again, Seth. Michelle, I have a question for you. Do you have any um, favorite memories in terms of particular artists that have come through our stage? Um, Sure. I mean, like you said, uh, Jeremiah does such a great job of booking such a diverse group of talent. And I've definitely met and worked with bands that I had never heard of before. Not that they weren't big. It's just I wasn't exposed to it. So, I mean, some of our faves to come through, I mean, to just sound amazing, great crews, all of that. Um, I would say Royal Blood, Panic at the Disco was one of my favorites. His voice is just so amazing. Um, (laughs) El King, 
um, because we had a lot of, you know, girl power on the show. Shout out to Jeremiah because, you know, there's a lot of amazing women in music. I like Christine and the Queens just because Mm -hmm. she had a huge dance element. And for me as a dancer, a former dancer, it was great to have that. So we get to do, you know, production all over the map. So we'll have just a straight ahead band as well as somebody like her who had, you know, just her and dancers. You know, that was her show. So so beautifully lit, too. Like our, our whole studio was transformed with like the most simple setting yeah. you know within the simple setting what about oh, you and what what are some of your favorites um i have to say like personally for me so i used to live in in the boston area so 617 when james taylor came on our show he was both a chat guest and um our music guest a legend legend absolutely and this was maybe like two and a half years into our show so you know everything was like already like rolling really smoothly and my parents who still live in Boston um, they hadn't come see come to see a show yet so I invited them to our show when James Taylor was was our music guest and I remember like bringing my parents backstage and I was really just like trying to be careful. Like I didn't want to like intrude on the artists or, you know, like folks backstage or anything. And my parents were really respectful, too. But James came out of his dressing room and he saw my folks and he was just like, oh, hi, guys. Are you Yeji's parents? I mean, like, you know, I'm Asian and, you know, you see the two Asian, you know, parents standing in the background. It's pretty clear <laughs> that they're, they may be my parents. And he's like, oh, it's so nice to meet. He was so gracious with his time and his demeanor. And when I told them that, you know, they were from Boston, they're big fans of Red Sox. And, you know, we go to the Berkshires a lot to see the Boston Symphony Orchestra up there. And he's, I believe, from the Berkshires area. And he was just like, oh, man, like, thank you so much for coming to see me, to see the show. And he goes into his dressing room and from his bag, like he he had just released a new album. And he takes out these CDs that were like, you know, pre-sale, like not to be distributed yet, like CDs. And he's like, oh, advanced would you guys... Copy. Advanced copy. yeah. <laughs> he's like, do you guys want some CDs? Like, I mean, do you care? I mean, like, just like the way he... He was just such a generous, gracious man. And like for my parents, like they were just blown away. And right. to meet this legend um, and for the, for him to have been so nice to them, like that to me, like I was just like... I already respected James as an artist and this legend, but that furthermore said so much, you know, somebody who's been in the business for so long and then can be so gracious and humble, you know, just like that for me is like a good personal memory. And in general, that has been our experience with most artists. You know, we, you know, have been lucky enough to really have some great artists that have respect and appreciation for what we do and and helping them get their performance together and stuff. So, you know, I feel the same way. Like, you know, I'm just surprised we've had some legends we've had like Sheryl Crow. Speaking uh, of legends, we had the legendary Roots crew. The legendary Roots crew, Roots which crew. is like, I mean, for me, that is my most memorable experience. Not yeah. only because they are an amazing band, but they're also from Philly, 215 yes. in the house. Um, <laughs> and uh, my husband is also their production manager and has been with them for uh, over 25 years. Since, shout out since, to Keith. Shout out to Keith McPhee um, <laughs> since they were the Square Roots. So it's kind of great to have have known them for so long and then to go into this business and um, that was the first time for me that I was able to work with my husband in that capacity so that's a big deal I mean Yeji can speak to this too but you know what we do find is that as women in production we very rarely get to run into other women 
Um, And so it's great for us to work along with some folks that have been doing this so long. I mean, he's a really well-respected production manager and really great at his job. So just to be able to put that show together with him and watch him work was really fun. It was great. That was, and they were just, of course, amazing. One of the best bands we've ever had on the show. But, you know, I feel like we're lucky to do what we do. And I think, you know, we've set uh, a high bar for women in this business because we are really very, uh, we're on it. I mean, let's just say it, Yeji. We, we know what we're doing. <laughs> can I can I share a story? Like one of my favorite things like to observe, like in the morning when we're greeting, oh, greeting yeah, like I a, know. you know, like a, <laughs> like a production team from a band. Yeah. And they see Michelle and they're like, hey, hi, Michelle, nice to finally meet you. And then like the moment they realize, because, you know, as we were talking about Keith McPhee, Michelle's husband, he's been in the business for so long and he's not only is he the PM for The Roots, but he also is like the music supervisor for, for Fallon. So, and then like when they see Michelle and they're like, wait, is Keith McPhee your husband? <laughs> oh man, we love that guy. He's the best. But now like Michelle's like, well, Wait till you get to know me. You know? Exactly. <laughs> then we have to, you know, we have to stand up to the we challenge. We have to step it up. <laughs> and then, and of course, they are like, no, this was pretty amazing. And uh, no, but it, I mean, it's it's fun to, like I said, he's really well known. So, you know, it's fun to be able to work in this industry and not only represent women, but, you know, kind of um, represent my family as well. And mm-hmm. and that's great. My favorite thing, <laughs> my favorite thing is in the morning when we, we greet our oh, production God. teams. I, I I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> My favorite thing is, you know, Yeji and I, we also do a lot of work behind the scenes um, like advancing. before yeah. advancing everything before we um, before they emails. arrive. So mm-hmm. there's lots of emails. And then, you know, the day of the production managers will come in and they'll say, oh, yeah, great. Nice to meet you. We met Yeji. Great. Um, so who's the guy that I'll be working with today? And it's so interesting because, you know, then I'm like he's right here it's me it's me and Yeji this is the team you know and it it speaks a lot in terms of just like you know um, the expectation of the industry is like not to have women in these kind of positions but it also speaks a lot about Seth Meyers and who he is and the staff here and the way that they do have women in these positions and I think it's great because Yeji and I kill it every time (laughs) (laughs) Um, we also love like whenever guest bands come through and like their team comprises of all women you know like when like the manager and the production manager are all women and you're just like yes girl power yeah. like woman in music production <laughs> yeah it's fun it's fun and and we really like what we do so shout out to Seth Myers for you know supporting women in power so Yeji do you want to talk about like our backgrounds before we got yeah, started yeah. In, in, at late night so I'm a violinist I, I've played violin since I was six and I went to school to college I went to Indiana University Bloomington Shout out Hoosiers. Uh, I went to school studying violin performance um, with a a minor in management. So about 10 years ago when I moved to New York, um, I had a job at Carnegie Hall. So I was working in like the nonprofit music world for a few years. And I was in the marketing and visitor services department there. And it was just, I mean, Carnegie Hall is such a like a center for, you know, great music, like classical, new music. They have a great education center. So it was really cool for my first few years working after graduating, you know, to be at a place like Carnegie. And then from Carnegie, 
I started getting interested in more production type work. And so one thing led to another. Uh, my, my boss there at the time was this woman, Naomi Grable. And she told me that, you know, she knew of a position opening at BAM, um, which is the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And BAM is like, I mean, I, what it's can I say? Mecca. It's like the mecca of not only music, dance, theater, um, movies, movies, and they have so many amazing, uh, like, live um, bands. Live, yeah, like they, they do everything. There's yeah. nothing that they don't do. They do, like, Dance Africa. So I started working at BAM um, in the production department, uh, and that was about two years. And like I said, when I met Michelle, and when Michelle was moving on to TV, and she... She reached out and said, hey, are you interested in joining me? I was like, I've never done TV before, but it's still within the music world that I love. And so I was like, it's now or never, because who knows when, when these opportunities might come up. You know, and these are, so true. these are amazing jobs. There's so few of these jobs, especially like doing what we do, which is like specifically music for a late night, you know, variety show. There's only a handful of those jobs out there. For so. Sure feel so lucky to to be in this environment and to be working with you know the people that we do and the musicians that that we come across for sure and i probably have the most non-traditional uh path to tv ever in life my background is in nonprofit. i originally started out um, i have a public health bachelor's degree and a master's in nonprofit arts management and i initially started out as a social worker right after college working always with women's issues but i did welfare to work and transitional housing so which is women transitioning out of the shelters into permanent housing and then at the same time, I was a, a street dancer. I was a well-known street dancer just dancing in clubs who kind of started to work as a dancer doing videos and, you know, kind of doing these little odd jobs on the side. And from that, I started my own company. And from my own dance company, I started my own uh, festival, Ladies of Hip Hop Festival. And that kind of catapulted me into doing events on a large scale and doing all the production myself. So everything from designing the flyers to renting the venue to the stage and, and conducting the show, like everything. And so that's kind of where I really got my feet wet in terms of production. And then just also, you know, being with Keith and being around it for, you know, many, many years and, and many, many shows. Uh, if anybody knows, the roots are like the Grateful Dead of hip hop. So, you know, <laughs> if there's anything I know is definitely shows live shows so and then you know fast forward through my dance stuff I got into BAM and a weird thing with BAM is I didn't actually get the job when I first interviewed I interviewed for the job and because I was more of an independent production person they wanted to go with someone who had a little bit more experience and um, it was the most intense interview I'd had ever had everybody in the production it was like I think eight people at the same time interviewed me it was I mean and they asked me from everything about like what was my favorite James Taylor song to just you know regular production questions it was really interesting I think BAM is a great place to start for anybody who's looking into getting the full production experience, everything that you could possibly come into contact with. Like Yeji said, anything from dance, ballet, theater, movies, live bands, which is what I did. I ran the band Cafe mostly on the weekends. I mean, I worked on other events, but every weekend I was in BAM Cafe with a, a new band that they had and 
And, uh, and it was a great experience. It was a great experience working with crews there. Local One, that union is a very big union. And I got to work with a lot of the Local One guys out there and learned a lot from them. And then when Jimmy Fallon moved to the Tonight Show, Keith let me know about a position that was opening at Late Night late with night. Seth Meyers. And I came in and interviewed with like four different people <laughs> and, and, and ended up getting the job, which was great. But it was just the most non-traditional path to what I do. And so <laughs> when interns ask me, you know, like, how do I do what you do? I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you know that this is what you want to do, but but maybe it might not be the most direct path. Still just stay, you know, like stay in production, but, you know, take any opportunity that you have. Like, you know, maybe BAM would not have been like, it's not the path to necessarily work with bands, but you just get so much general production experience. So, you know, look at everything in terms of, um, you know, what opportunities you have as, as, as a way to kind of get you to that path. Because, you know, I started out as a social worker, so you never know. But music and dance and arts was always, always in your heart. Always around me. Yeah, you know, never went to school for dance. I was just lucky enough to be, you know, one of those folks that loved it so much that it kind of was natural for me and, and really catapulted me, you know, forward in life, you know. And it's still part of it. It's a huge part of my life still. And Yeji, look where we are now. No, no one would have ever thought, right? No one would have thought. I mean, we've known each other six years. We've been on the show four years. Yeah, since the beginning. Since the beginning. February of 2014. Yeah, we just had an anniversary. Yep. Thank you for putting up with me every day. With me sitting next to you every day. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's a little bit of putting up both ways. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with us Thanks on our podcast. Bye, guys. Bye. Want more Late Night with Seth Meyers? Be sure to follow the handle at Late Night Seth on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. You can also watch full episodes of Late Night at LateNightSeth.com or on the NBC app. And please tell your friends who are fans of Seth Meyers to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Hey you, it's Jason Bateman. Have you listened to Smartless? Smartless is the podcast that I host with my friends who are more like brothers. The super talented and funny Will Arnett and Sean Hayes is... JJ, well, JJ, JJ, why are, yeah. you, why are you whispering? Well, it, there's there's a pst in the, in, the, in the copy. But people are listening, so it's like... They are listening. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. In each episode of Smartless, one of us reveals our mystery guest to the other two. What ensues is a genuinely improvised and authentic conversation. Our mystery guests span our mystery... We'll cut this out. Our mystery guests... All right, here we go. We got a lot of big famous people from different walks of life, and if you're yeah, a wondering fan, then you're going to stop. Just you come and listen Tyson. to it. Yeah. We're on Wondery right now, and you can listen uh, to us. And no matter what you're doing, you're at the gym or you're in the car, just listen yeah. to the podcast. Sean, tell them where they can find it. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Bye. Bye. Bye.